What's up, everybody? Jay Miller here. This is The Pitch Show, where normally I can sit down and talk about music and riff and have fun with the guests of my way. That's not what we do. Normally, we talk about productivity. Well, no, we don't do that either. But in this episode, we might be talking about both with my guest. Uh, he is a one of the hosts of the Nested Folders podcast, all about productivity, um, inboxing of zeros and ones, I guess. And he is also an automation and a home screen widget, like phenomena. Uh, the one, the only, Hey, Scotty J. Hey, Scotty J. How are you? Hi, Jay. I'm great. It is fantastic to be here. Thank you so much for, for having me. Phenomenon seems like a bit of a stretch, but I mean... <laughs> I'll take this is it. like phenom, yeah, phenom. If you if, oh, yeah. if you add the phenomena to it, it, it just becomes annoying, right? <laughs> well, it becomes yeah, it becomes a Muppets number. And, uh, yeah, it's, uh, well, I so am bad. very familiar with with the the show and what you do, but for those that may not have uh, heard nested folders yet or heard about what you're up to, why don't you give everybody the the intro? Sure. So um, I have the. Uh, pleasure of co-hosting Nested Folders with Rosemary Orchard, who is um, the uh, queen of internet uh, automation of all the things. Um, and the show Nested Folders is kind of meant to be a bit of a flip side to the other show that she does with David Sparks called Automators, where we talk about productivity less from a tooling and technology perspective and more from the perspective of what are the thought processes that we use about the tools that we have and what are the ways in which we try and approach problems and solutions and ways of working that are maybe hopefully tool agnostic so that we can get into you know the real thought processes of what it is to be productive, what productivity even means, and then how we kind of try navigate all of that together. What productivity means? Wow, that's a that's a big task. <laughs> that's a massive. How you feel like you're doing on that one? Well, I mean, not great, Jay. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I, I, so I mean. I grapple with this a lot, right? Like, is productivity like the number of things that I get done? Or is productivity the amount of time it takes me to get one of those things done? Or is productivity stepping back and saying, wait a minute, what things am I even doing? And I think at the, in the end, it's probably kind of a balance of all three. Um, but uh, but productivity gets used as like the shorthand for meaning all kinds of things like that. So we try and take that broad perspective um, of, of, of what that is. And then, and then, okay, well, if, if we're looking at productivity from all these different dimensions, well, then what does that mean now? And what am I going to do with that? Like, how am I going to approach that? And, and what am I going to think about? So we, we try and narrow it down to like fairly focused topics per show. Like we take it in turn to set up a topic and, and then we give each other, uh, sort of an intro line of here's like context of what it's about. And then in our shared note, after that, it's, you know, <laughs> title, short description, then heading Rose, heading Scotty. We drop in some bullet points and then we get on a call and we try and hash our way through that. And, uh, it's uh, a lot of fun to do. It's, uh, Rose is an absolute joy to work with and, uh, it's therapeutic and it's, it's cool to hear that some of this resonates with other people too, which is, uh, which is, I mean, which is a bonus. It makes me feel real nice. I could only imagine for you, it is very much, you show up, you hit record and everything else is kind of figured out in a dock and you just get to be yourself and kind of unwind. 
Kind of, yeah. I mean, we we spitball some bullet points, and then sometimes we end up running out of bullet points halfway through the recording, but we're still going. Other times we only get through like a fraction of the stuff in there. And other times we don't even use what's in there. We're, we're just off on our own improv. So I, it's a format of the show that I really, really enjoy doing probably because, um, I mean, I don't have a background in broadcast or journalism or being a, a voice person, uh, but I do have a background in theater. And so a big part of that for me was, was improv and the improv games. So when you were on stage, you were on stage. When you did a thing, everyone saw the thing. So I really enjoy this very natural, unscripted, I mean, guided by, you know, some high level themes and, and bullet points discussion. But what you end up hearing when we put out a show every two weeks is all, all, all but a lightly tuned one take conversation. And much like what we're having here, really. So this is this is super familiar, I, and I enjoy this because it means it's natural. Um, it feels um, not performative. It feels um, it, it feels like going through the process of thinking about this stuff in real time, even as we're talking about it. And so uh, I like that, and that re- that resonates for me. So I kind of try and put together. I guess the version of myself or the discussion, my half of the discussion as the kind of way in which I like to listen to other people do their thing. Well, if we're ever looking for a developer advocate where I work, I might have to send you a shout out. Cause that, I mean, that is the definition of nowadays what I have to do on a regular basis. I mean, we, we just did a conference. It was like a 24 hour conference, which I would not recommend to my enemies. Um, <laughs> but uh, in that time, we had a co- we had a, a talk that uh, basically we had a no show. So for thirty minutes on my shift, it was like, well, you got thirty minutes of of time, gotta fill it. And we just kind of came up with a with an idea. All right, we'll do some Q and A. We'll preload some questions. We'll make it happen, and we'll get get it all together and show and just show up. And at the end, they were like wow, that went really well. And I was like, that comes from years of just doing that on the fly. Like that is every show that, that I've ever done is where like, there might be a little bit of planning, but at the end of the day, and I think this is with most shows, you just got to get out there and perform your show. And the people that are there to listen, they're going to enjoy it either way. I, I think that too many too many podcasts that I've been on in the past have everything locked down. Like they want your answers like in the dock before you get there. And it's like, you can't, you can't run a show like that. It's going to go off the rails. It's, it's, it's got to, for it to feel like a show and not to feel like a, you know, a live reading, it has to be able to go off the rails a little bit. I I think so. I, I, the off the rails is kind of my favorite part if I'm being honest. And I mean, like being real too, I mean, there is so much content out there. I'm not going to try and make the thing that billions of people are going to love. Cause I don't think that I, a, I don't think an audience that big would even be an attractive thing. Even if I had a shot at coming anywhere near that, which I know I don't, I, I, I enjoy making this thing that the people who like it will really like. And I would way rather have, a few people who are a part of that community who are like deeply engaged and really enjoying uh, what we're doing uh, as opposed to, you know, a giant audience of, you know, lukewarm or, you know, um, you know, passive um, enjoyers of content. Uh, 
I, I'd rather appeal to a smaller segment. And I think that's, I think that's fine because like I say, there's plenty of content to go around. So let's all just, let's all just target our slivers and, and have fun with that. Well, speaking of a smaller segment, I know that there, there's like this one tool that actually there's several tools that when I think of you, I think of because they're so fiddly. Um, one of them is OmniFocus and I, I said this is going to be the episode where we talk productivity again, you know, for the first time in, in almost a half decade. But why? It's and why? and this this is the person that has every single productivity app installed at some point. Uh, probably have a pro license for all of them. I've tried all of them. Pen and paper is usually where I live. I I want to hear the case for OmniFocus uh, in your from your perspective. Sure. I mean, I won't go like super deep into all of the trials and tribulations that I went through in the last couple of months of last year, because uh, we actually did a special unnested episode about that. But what I, what I will, what I will say is this, um, OmniFocus is not perfect, but um, to me, what resonates the most about OmniFocus is its data model. So in OmniFocus, a task is either available or it's not. But if it's not, it can be for one of three very different reasons. One, it can be not available because time says not yet. So there's this notion of defer dates where you say, I don't want this to be available to me until X time, at which point, okay, cool, it can be available to me then. Maybe that means, you know, I can't get started on this project until some sort of precondition is met. That won't be met until a certain time. Maybe that means I do not wish to think about this until some, you know, future time, whatever. Um, but time is one of those dimensions. The second dimension is um, because of some sort of contextual reason. So you can assign tags to tasks and those tags can be put on hold. So now I have deliberately tagged something. I've said this is not available f- to me because reason X. It could be because I have that tag is called uh, weekend. It could be a tag related to a particular event. It could be a tag related to uh, a particular location. And if those tags are not currently active, then I'm not going to see that thing. And the third is predecessor. So you can have these like sequential projects, which say in this project, all these things have to happen in order. And if the preconditions aren't met, those tasks are not available. So what that means is that it's as simple as available or not, but when it's not, it's for a particular reason. And then I can um, trust myself that I'm looking at things such that when those reasons for it becoming not available are no longer true, then it will be available. And that's cool. So it, it allows me to hide a lot of stuff so that despite the fact that I have like, I don't even want to talk about how many projects right now, but I have <laughs> probably a, a, between 500 and 1,000 tasks in there. But I only actually see, like if I looked at my available list right now, oh, I'm going to put my money where my mouth is, but, I, but it, I'll probably see about less than 50. So despite the fact that I have a ton of stuff in there, I'm only looking at 50, which means the exact opposite actually is that I'm not fiddling because I don't have to go twisting and turning around and trying to like figure out where stuff might be. Um, it's set up in a way that it will show me the things that I could do and it will bury the rest. Now it took a lot of fiddling to get there. So, <laughs> so you're, you're not wrong. You are not wrong. <laughs> so I, I wonder with that, and maybe that's, that's one of the uh, hesitancies that I have about OmniFocus is 
while I love that you don't see everything until you're predetermined whether you've added tags, whether you've added deferrals, whether you've added, um, I forgot what the other one is, like the sequential list, uh, until until you're ready to see it, part of me wants to work as a refiner. I feel like with OmniFocus, not knowing what the next steps are or not visualizing what the next steps are can often make me a little anxious about like, okay, am I at step one or I'm or am I at step, you know, 99 out of 100? And that's a personal hangup. I, I think that there are definitely times when you need to have that, you know, stuff taken away from you. Um, but I also think that that's where visibility and, and options can almost play as a, you know, a limiter in how I operate. That's completely fair. And I'll, I'll, I'll say too that, you know, as I describe OmniFocus in that way, I'm talking about it when I'm doing stuff. Like when I, when I'm saying, okay, world, what do I need to do now? And that's where I really like stuff being hidden. When I'm in um, planning mode, to your point, yeah, I agree. Like now, I, now I need to go in there. I need to like zoom out and see. Well, what a, what are all the commitments I have? OmniFocus calls them projects. I'll call them commitments because that makes more mental model sense to me. Um, what all commitments do I have? And if I need to zoom in on a particular one, okay, what are all the parts about that? What are all the things that I need to know, um, or the things that I'm going to need to do? Uh, I like that I can that I can do that too, um, but I also know that I'm I'm speaking from the perspective of benefiting from like a decade of muscle memory with this thing though <laughs> yeah. too. Like I mean, I, I spent I spent I've spent many times um, looking at things. I have spent many times looking at um, Todoist, Asana, uh, Trello just reminders good task good task is a really interesting uh, app because it uses um like the reminders database but then it adds stuff on top which is a really clever uh really clever way of uh, approaching things um and all of these have their pluses and minuses all of these are very different apps too so i i i think it becomes really attractive to read these like omnifocus versus things the final decision <laughs> kind of article and uh, and it's probably fun to write too because it's it's the productivity nerds we're all going to click that um but you can't really compare them because they're so diff- such different apps i mean they're they're looking for similar outcomes i suppose but the way that they seek to achieve them and the way that they face a user is so entirely different that I, I think it depends on the, the human person behind. And so I won't disparage any of the apps or, or any people who use different apps. Cause I don't, I only know what ended up working the best for me. And it's not to, again, it's not to say it's the super perfect app. I think it's, I think it's not aging super particularly well in this moment, but I also know that the team is working on redesign stuff too, to make it more, uh, modern, particularly iOS and iPadOS, but um, but it's the one that is working the most for me. And I will say one of the things that they've done a great job is the focus on automation, the focus on making information accessible from 
outside the app getting into it. And I know that that wasn't always true either. I think that's just this year that the Omni automation side came into effect. And then maybe last year when shortcuts kind of gave you a little bit more visibility into it as well. Is that right? Uh, I think the shortcuts has been around longer than Omni automation. Um, But I, I'm, I don't know. Like I'm not, I'm not a, I'm not a developer. So while Omni automation, like kind of sounds cool, it's like, if you must be at least this tall to ride this ride, <laughs> I am missing by about like a foot and a half. Right. So I, I'm a shortcuts guy because I'm uh, I, as a not a developer, I like the idea that I can drag and drop blocks of things around and make stuff happen, which is really cool. Uh, shortcuts also happens to be the automation language that all my other apps talk to. So, I mean, sometimes I lament the fact that Omni hasn't done more with shortcuts because of all of the things they're doing with Omni automation. I don't know if, I don't know if it's a trade-off or not. Um, I wish there was more shortcut stuff there though. Uh, but I'm hoping that that's, that's coming. Well, I mean, you're making it yourself and that, that was kind of my, my cheap segue into some of this other stuff that you're doing. Like, I, I see these these home screen widgets, and I, I will say I'm not a widget person at all. My phone has zero widgets enabled, um, not for lack of trying. It's just they were there. I realized that I'd never used them, so I removed them, and then all of a sudden they were all gone. And I was like, well, I don't don't know what to do here. But I'm seeing, like, wild stuff that you've got here. You've got, you know, OmniFocus rings. you got your entire, like... Or at least at one point you had stuff like completely decked out to the nines in in those areas. So let's first let's talk about augmenting uh, tools so that they work for you. Like you said, OmniFocus is great for you. It's not perfect for you. What gave you the confidence and the audacity to be like, take this OmniFocus? Uh, welcome, welcome to the world of of automation with charty and shortcuts. Bit of a jerk move. Huh? <laughs> um, well, I mean, at first, at, like part of it was that I was frustrated that uh, there were not widgets from OmniFocus when widgets were around. It took them a little while t- to to get there, uh, and even with their native widgets, eh, I think it leaves some to be desired. Um, but I was really fascinated. Um, as more and more people started, you know, sharing these home screens online that are just wild, um, a, the personalized experience, but probably more than that was this idea of if I just pick up my phone and look at my home screen, how much information can I see? So I don't even need to look at an app or even tap anything. Like maybe it will just show me something that is relevant now or that I, or not that it's predictive or anything, but that, you know, nine times out of 10, I pick up my phone is probably for X. So what can I do to get X closer to me so that there's fewer taps or navigations or barriers to entry so that I'm not getting distracted? Like, because as soon as I start touching stuff, well, I mean, all bets are <laughs> off <laughs> if I can actually, you know, carry through with what I set out to do when I picked up my phone in the first place. Um how do I bring that right onto the home screen? So, um, I mean, shortcuts is my jam because I was doing a lot of different stuff with shortcuts and, um, text editing before. Um, and then, uh, Charty came along and Charty is so cool. Um, 
You know what else is really great about charting? And, and I find this more and more as uh, like a person who is involved in apps and, and putting apps on my phone is that it's not just about the tools either. It's about the people who build this stuff. Mm-hmm. I find myself really, really interested in not necessarily having like a relationship with a developer, but looking at uh, like the way a developer um, shares information or talks to people or the way they position their product or what they even do. I like that means something to me. And I think I will, I will love an app even more when like the developers behind it so deeply care about what they do. And I mean, so like props to like, I mean, uh, Greg at drafts, the crew at agenda, uh, Rodrigo for, uh, 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 for Charty. Um, Adam from uh, the crew at Omni two. Adam Tao. Yeah. Adam Tao. Yeah. I mean, um, I mean, there, there's there's a lot of a lot of people, but I mean, those are those are some names that come to mind like right away. Is like that is so neat how little or how few degrees of separation there are between like me as a consumer and the person who is like making the <laughs> stuff I use on my phone. Like, what a time to be alive, right? Um, so anyway, in comes Charty, and that gives us way of like visualizing data. And I think the initial thought was, you know, maybe you can track trends or look at you know percentages of stuff in a pie chart and to me i looked at it and i'm like this is a really neat way of quantifying and displaying and looking at my data for things that i have done or things that i could do and so the the relationship to me between uh charty and omnifocus would seem like peanut butter and jelly uh and uh so i was really excited to start playing with that and uh uh um, data jar, um, and, uh, Simon Strobring, another uh, fantastic, uh, developer, um, that gave me a, a way of like storing information that I could recall on a regular basis. So maybe that's a dictionary of things or API keys that I don't want to live right in, inside of a shortcut. Um, that's a really cool way of, of making my shortcuts kind of talk to each other and work together nicely. And then widget pack happened. And it's like shortcut actions, but for building widgets. And um, layer on on top of all of that, the sort of Apple UI guideline of SF symbols as a kind of unified experience for iconography meant, okay, I can use SF symbols and all of this stuff will look very, air quote, Apple-like. Meaning I can make widgets that feel like a native experience on my home screen. Um, that have visualized data, that have um, interfaces, and that can hook into all of these other apps on the back end so that I can, you know, count the number of drafts in my inbox. I can count the number of agenda notes uh, I've made today, or I can try. That gets a little bit hacky. (laughs) Um, Or I can pull out the number of uh, OmniFocus tasks that I I want. Um, That's pretty neat. And so that, that's what I got to experimenting and playing with. And I just found myself, I mean, talk about fiddling. I mean, hours. But it was so joyful. Like, it was just, it was just so much fun to do. Uh, I've been doing some new iterations of stuff um, over this past weekend uh, that I've been kind of enjoying. But, um, but to me, it, it's about designing the way in which I am accessing information. So I get to be a visual designer for myself. And it, I mean, if it works for other people too, cool. That's, that's neat. A, a couple of uh, tweets were going around today with people saying, Hey, I modified, you know, Scotty's thing here. And, 
and now it does this. I'm like, God, that's so awesome. Um, and I think that's the best part about this too, is that it's all kind of open source by nature so that, you know, if someone picks it up, they can edit the ever loving heck out of it and make it into something either completely else or something that's, you know, similar or whatever. And then it becomes useful for them too. So this is, this is one of those like left brain, right brain questions that I have (laughs) because I, I know from, from our conversations that you are, you are a very creative person. But when I look at your like I look at this kind of the cover art for the sweet setup guide that you wrote, which I will say you got me to read the sweet setup without going. Huh. So <laughs> that's Win. that's already that's already and, and I, I love the folks over at Sweet Setup, but I will not read it because I'm a I'm a productivity skeptic TM, I guess. Um, okay. But uh the when I look at this, it's like this looks so analytical. It looks so like um, very structured. And to me, that's where I was like, yep, that's OmniFocus for you. And then this is, this is OmniFocus and as creative as it can get. Um, but what, what do you see? Like, where do you get these ideas? So I'm, I'm looking at like show up, get to it, like count and function, like, what gives you all of the ideas and inspirations to like, I'm going to extract this piece of information and throw it on my screen? That's a great question. Um, stalls for time. I, I, I think a lot of it is going to come down to what do I think I need? What do I think will help me make sense of the universe in as much as a, a, a you know, a, a, a six inch diagonal glowing rectangle can in a particular moment. So, and I, and I went way too far. Like the, the, some of the versions that you're describing, like, I, I'm like, I know I'll make a dashboard that has a number for everything. And then I, I pick it up like, Whoa, no, actually like, that's like way too much information. Like I don't need to know how much, how many, things are in my drafts inbox every time i look at my phone i'll just be sad all the time of all these things i mean like it's like for me a lot of it is is survival mechanism of like what what how can i um exploit the tools that i have to help me assign meaning to all the things that are either in my life or in my head uh in a given moment so that i can carry on and do the next thing um and so a lot of that was like experimentation. A lot of that was um, starting with something simple and then making it wildly complex and now trying to make it simple again. Um, I mean, like well, a lot of it, I mean, first of all, selfishly, a lot of that started from, I want the date and the day of the week it is in big, bold letters at the top of my home screen all the time, like just as simple as that. But then because I'm me and I'm f- finicky about like some elements of design thanks widget smith that's really really close that's not the font i want and that's not the alignment i want so of course i'm going to go and make it myself um but then also it also felt like a fun thing to go and teach myself how to do um is like widget pack like usage and action wizardry going to like 
make me a millionaire and be like really cool on a resume? Yeah, probably not. But, um, but I, but I enjoy, I enjoyed it. I had a lot of fun. Um, like I said, it, a lot of it was, was just like, what do I think I want to know? And, and then what I've been reminded of, especially a lot, um, lately with a number of projects is that when you are looking at an interface, from the perspective of being like a governance, like reviewing person, the way you are looking at it is entirely different from how you would look at it if you were actually using it. And those are two very different mindsets. At least they are, at least they are for me. So like uh, a web design or an app design that presents well on a, like on a giant, you know, slide at a, at a, at a TED talk. And, you know, actually using that same screen in the palm of your hand in the, in the throes of all of the things going on in your life also, um, I don't think about those the same way at all. And so when I look at, you know, a lot of the things that I've built, um, I think they present well. I, I, I'm not convinced they actually use all that well <laughs> necessarily. Um, I, I like personally, I look at them now and I find them like overwhelming in terms of how much information is there. But I like, but I, but I like what I was trying to get at. Which was surface the important stuff, just like the OmniFocus data model. Surface the important stuff, hide all the rest, make it less accessible to me, so that I don't get caught um, distracting myself by like, well, you know, maybe I'll just tap on the kitten video for just a moment, and then I'm watching Family Feud excerpts and and uh, supercuts and and, and does does the phrase "naked grandma" ring a bell? Then you said Family Feud ex- oh. excerpts. <laughs> Every, I mean, YouTube is an awful, one, wonderful, wonderful, awful place. Like, I mean, it, it's it, it's amazing that I get out of there alive every time. Yeah, and I, I will definitely agree with you. I think that there, in many ways, there are applications that will show you what you think you want to see. And then there are other applications that will give you the ability to show you exactly what you need to see and Mm -hmm. understanding the difference between two. And some of them do both. So like, those are the really good apps, the ones that can do both. Uh, But I'm definitely there. And I think that that's a presentation uh, to talk to the productivity nerds in the room. Like knowing the audience is vital to getting it right the first time. And that was something that uh, a boss that didn't teach me much else, if I'm being honest, uh, did teach me (laughs) was sometimes presentation is more important than the the actual implementation and execution. Uh, When you're presenting about why you should keep your YouTube channel and not you shouldn't log how many hours it takes each video. You should only show how many subscribers and views you get. Um, and then vice versa. Sure. And thinking about that in terms of when you're the creator, but also when you're the consumer of, okay, what am I trying to get out of this? And what does the site want me to get out of this? And how can I narrow the gap between the two? Totally. I mean, what's maddening too is that I am so crap at predicting my own future behavior. Like, I can, I, uh, what I can set up right now for tomorrow, um, I can think, like, I, I'm, that's awesome. 
that this is these are all the things I need. Look at me. I'm awesome. I've got everything arranged. And then I come in tomorrow. I'm like, I don't want this is not this is not the thing at all. And not even because of external circumstances have changed. I mean, never mind that. I mean, sure, that's going to happen all the time, too. Like uh, the thing that you thought was important yesterday. Turns out it's not actually that important because <laughs> this new thing, that's the thing that's now important. Um, it, but my own internal processes will change, too. And so the way I perceive all of this stuff uh, is up in the air. So uh, designing for future me is, um, I mean, it's a fool's errand. So uh, so I end up in a constant state of, this kind of constant state of designing, which like makes my wife insane. Like, oh, good, you're reorganizing your desk again. That's super. Is that the fifth time this week? Yeah, it is. Thank you. But, you know, my needs are different today than they were yesterday than they were the day before that also. And I'm high maintenance and that's fine. Um, so, so I look at it as kind of a constant exploration and, and, um, and that's, I mean, that's my problem. That's not, that's not like an omni-focus problem or anything. I mean, does it, does it like enable that <laughs> a lot? Yeah. Yes, it does. Um, but I mean, so do shortcuts and all these other things that give me the ability to like modify and design and, and, and create things. So I'd like to think that, um, my exploration is a little bit more, purposeful than like straight fiddling um i mean 2014 me was 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 fiddling with systems like all over the place um but i i feel like i feel like i've been able to grow past that um and yeah i'm still like mucking around with a bunch of things um but i think that some of the products of that end up being like these 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 pretty good gems that that are worth hanging on to so um, so as long as I continue to see some sort of product or outcome from that, uh, I'll probably keep doing it. Oh, who am I kidding? I'll probably keep doing it anyway. I think that's a good place to uh, mark the task of this part of the interview complete and move on uh, to the best part of that we've all been waiting for, which is the after show. But before we do that, we tell everybody how they can uh, consume more of your content. I can be reached at heyscottyj.com or by the same name on Twitter, at heyscottyj. Um, and I'd love it if folks check out uh, the podcast uh, with Rosemary Orchard as well. That's at nestedfolderspodcast.com. Scotty, you ready? I, I, I'm sure. All right. Here we are. We must We must be ready. We must be ready. Yeah, you don't have a choice. So, yeah, like I said, the rules are, are simple. You ask as many questions, as few or as many as you want. I've got no time limit here. I mean, i got to go to bed at some point, but it, the night's still young for me. So, <laughs> yeah, I'm, a, I'm an open book. I'll answer any of the questions, but from this point on, the, the show is yours. All right. Uh, so I, this, is a, this is a really interesting one for me because I am like – in the past year, I've had that Kobayashi moment of the monk being dropped, and you realize that the whole thing was a lie. It was all made up, and Kaiser Sose was actually the guy sitting right there the whole time. You didn't even know it. Um, uh, I'm, I'm having that kind of moment as I look like look back at, at my life. Um, uh, it was about, um, where are we? March, as we record this. Um, so it was... Uh, you know, uh, just over, uh, just under a year ago, actually, that I was uh, properly diagnosed uh, with ADHD. And um, I, for me, it was always uh, thought to be issues with depression or anxiety 
Uh, turns out that was, you know, sort of a secondary effect of me having, like, not being able to deal with all the stuff in my head. And so I'm really interested, you know, from your perspective as someone who um, is also of that camp and has been doing a lot of this productivity thinking, what the relationship you think is, uh, maybe maybe in general terms, as well as just like for you, um, this, this productivity-oriented thinking um, and ADHD. I'm just, you know, want to riff on on that a little bit and hear your thoughts on where one ends and the other begins or partnership. So I think that the biggest help for me was when I kind of divorced the two, I guess of saying Hmm. you don't have to be overproductive for the sake of not having panic attacks due to ADHD. Um, For me, there was a lot of I need to know, and as I mentioned, like I need to know every step along the way because if I get distracted, I need to I need to have some reason to not want to get distracted um, and to pull myself out. So if I know I have ninety nine tasks to go and I'm still on task one, I need to be able to say, "Oh, there's ninety nine to go. You need to switch back to this." The thing that I realized was I was never kidding myself. I was never going to get all 99 of those tasks done. And two things had to happen. I had to understand that and I had to be okay with it. And that was where I really started to see myself become more productive was once I said, not necessarily throw the list out the window, but make the list, look at it, do the things. If you got to remake the list, remake the list. That's fine. But it should be living and breathing with you. And I think that that's where it's funny. That's where digital task management always fails for me. Because as you mentioned, on day one, my mindset might be, Oh, OmniFocus and put everything in its own project and have a home, a home project and or a home folder with bedroom, bathroom, living room, kitchen, like every project and it's every room, its own project. And then the next day I might be like, well, honestly, home should just be one project. And then I can tag everything based on where it needs to go. Uh, and then everything could be, well, let's add tasks with subtask and it's like no everything needs to be a task no everything needs to be a project because who am i kidding vacuum the living room is its own project at times (laughs) so it was having the flexibility to do all of those things and knowing that i could do all of those things that often made me not do anything but try to figure out how to do those things Right. And when I advocate for paper, I think that's kind of why, because it's so easy to just say, vacuum the living room. And then if you need to add some stuff underneath it, just add some stuff underneath it. But you can't really, you can't really do much other than that. You can write vacuum the living room a thousand times on one sheet of paper, but then they'll think you're a sociopath. Uh, so you, you kind of have to figure out like, does this work? Is this enough? Is this enough information to get me from the how do I start doing this to the I'm now doing this stage? Mm, that's that's good. Yeah, I, I 
papers where I think I do my best planning. Like I think I, I think I like I like to inventory in digital. I, and for a long time, I had paper planner as well. Um, but then I found it was impractical to keep up with because just too much information starting to come digitally. I mean, why, why is it impractical though? I mean, that that's well. I, I hear that a lot. I often hear like, well, you can't, it's hard to search for stuff and, and those areas. So I, I want to know why you think it's impractical. Well, I, I think it's impractical because I live by a manager schedule, which means to say like, I don't, I don't make things. Uh, my entire job is involved in um, uh, making and sharing ideas, which means that I am receiving and sending hundreds of emails a day. I am receiving and sending uh, hundreds of Slack messages per day and IMs and all the all, all the great digital channels. So, like, respond to someone's Slack message about X. Like, it, it, it like digital is just it's just too it, too much. Uh, it, it, it's I, I'm words are a problem. Um, <laughs> it's just so much easier to move an incomplete thing into a holding pen um, digitally. Uh, as opposed to transcribing that on paper and then going back and finding where that digital what digital thing happened, and I mean, to me the tipping point for that was probably in I don't know I want to say around 2010 ish. I mean before that a paper planner was was perfectly fine because email was pretty much the only digital channel that I was getting stuff through, so I could write down like email Bob back about the thing like that's that's fine. Um, I, that could even scale to you know. 100, 200 emails a day. Um, but when we started getting into ubiquitous internet and, um, you know, reliable internet service all the time, no matter where I am, and multiple digital channels, now paper is problematic for me. And just in terms of bookmarking the various different incomplete tasks, I, moving something from digital to analog and then move only to work back in digital, it, it felt, it felt, cumbersome i like that it slows me down to write something down uh i mean which is a great litmus test too in a lot of cases if i'm not willing to take the time to write this down why would i take the time to do it um it's it's a great question so in in a lot of cases uh yeah i yeah writing things down is a great way to plan things out for me um i like i like i've got a uh, rocket book uh panda planner which i love uh, with sort of like weekly and daily and monthly oriented views, that's perfect for me because it structures my thinking around, okay, what is this month going to look like? Not necessarily tactically, but but like thematically. Um, and I, I'll, like you said, throwing lists out a window, I'm a huge fan of throwing lists out windows. I will change any plan at any time, but I like to have a plan that I can start with to change. So um, fortunately, my wife works like that too. So when it comes to like planning a trip um, back in those weird times where you got to go places. Um, We wouldn't like have a detailed itinerary or anything, but we would have an idea of like, here are the things that we want to do. And then if it turns out we're going to do different things, that's fine. We'll just change the plan. Um, So I I think paper allows a lot of that sort of flexibility, whereas digital has, um, you know, the advantage of it being (laughs) digital, which means it's adjacent to all the other apps. Um, so okay, so so we're we've we've we picking on OmniFocus. So, um, what have been some of your um, sort of a counterpoint? Uh, what have been some of the digital apps that you have used? You know, when you're using them, and uh, what do you look for in that experience? So, 
the first the first love was was Evernote. Like so many of us, we productivity lads. Um, and and I mean I mean like 2010s Evernote, uh, early 2010s Evernote from like maybe like 2010 up to like 2013 ish. Um, that was that was kind of my first thought of like oh this I can I can have everything written down and I can know where I can find anything that my, to my heart's content. Uh, yeah, that was, that was poison. Uh, that was definitely the poison apple that, uh, <laughs> that put some Disney princess to sleep. Um, but after that, it was to doist, uh, at the start of this show, even it was to doist. That was 2014 ish. Yeah. And I, I still think that my brain probably best if I had, if everyone stole my notebooks and were like, okay, you have to use a digital task manager, there would be a fight between Todoist things and OmniFocus, the big three. Um, when I need a lot of, when there's a lot going on and I need a lot of restraint and a lot of like, very fine gatekeeping of tasks of like, okay, no, you stay here until I need you. Um, OmniFocus, I think is great for that. Uh, things I think is kind of that let's play, you know, fast and fast and loose with the rules and just throw stuff in. And does it matter how it's structured? No, cause it's in its own area. And as long as it's in its own area, it can do whatever it wants. Uh, and Todoist is, Definitely more of a, well, you got you an outline. Let's, let's start structuring that outline a little bit and you can add some sections and now they got the Kanban view and all that. And yeah, that's fine and all. Um, but I, I will say like in terms, at one point I was, my, my big pride was I'm a Todoist grandmaster. That's what my karma level is at. And, and then I realized that means nothing to 99% of the world. <laughs> like they don't care. <laughs> um, so yeah, I've, I've, I mean, when I say I've used all of them, I, I've used to do, I've used do, D-U-E, tick, tick, um, Asana. You mentioned Asana. I thought, I wish my brain could just function in Asana. It seems like one of those tools that would just work, but it never did for some reason. Uh, some at previous jobs I had to use, um, Rike, W-R-I-K-E. Oh, that's oh oh! I'll talk about Reich all day long. <laughs> I'd rather not. I love... hated Reich. I... What? <laughs> oh boy! And that's when our friendship. Ended. I felt like okay, so I felt like Reich was Reich to me felt like Asana, but everything was like one step behind what Asana could do, and I could I could be giving it a lot of uh, disservice based on how it was set up. I, I kind of came into a system where they were like, this is how we do it, make it work. And this was before uh, Reich had spaces. This was before Reich had, you know, the documents and all that stuff. You like, I think at that point, all you could do is really track your time and, and make lists. <laughs> um, yeah. So it, it definitely got better over time. But I think that the people using it were set in their ways. Nowadays, I do have to use one digital tool and that's monday.com, which I'm, I'm not a fan of their marketing strategy. I I've been on the record of saying that I've, they've done some really interesting things. Uh, I also use Airtable. I like Airtable. I like that Airtable has an API and as a developer, I get to play around with that. That's always fun. 
Uh, but yeah, most of our stuff right now is out of Monday. I do like that I can build dashboards. I I am a dashboard person. Like you, like we said in the show, like being able to know. Let me show people what they want to see, and then let me have my area so that I can actually get work done. Monday does a good job of doing that by giving me a space to create a dashboard so that I can go to CEOs or you know executives and those kind and go. If you want to know what the status of this is, go to this dashboard. But as for me, I'll be over here in the weeds making stuff happen, making sure that the dashboard is auto-updating. Um, again, not my choice, not not my first choice. I probably <laughs> would have just stayed with Airtable and kind of doubled down on it and gotten the visualization tools in there. But I understand they needed to – I mean, I work for a company that has over a 1,000 employees. They needed to have something that would, could kind of span that – much of a difference of job roles, but also be flexible enough that you could, you know, your small team can really make what they want of it. And it can also then get melted down into a report that, you know, the executives can look at and go, Oh, we're doing a great job. And then go on, go about their business. <laughs> totally. I, I mean, I, I'll say it like, I, I love Reich, but, but I mean, the 1000 employee team. Yeah, no, that would be, that would be an uphill battle, but like, we have one Reich implementation that serves these three different teams uh, that we have, including my team at work and my my peer teams. Each of us has a different workflow. So in Reich, you can have a different workflow, which is like a Kanban view. It starts on the left, you move things to the yep. right, and each thing has its own uh, name and meaning in terms of uh, what its value is. What's cool is that you can take a task and when you... um when you assign it to a project or a folder, that project or a folder is kind of like a tag, actually. And so you can tag something as belonging to multiple projects or multiple folders. So you can have a folder that's like, here, show me all the things that relate to, you know, creative thinking. Um, and I'll show tasks that are also tagged to, you know, that project and that project, which is really neat. So you can have tasks, you know, all over the place. And then it has a wicked web API. So that is like the crown jewel of my shortcuts is that um, when we get, uh, when my team gets a, a work request at work, uh, it comes through a, a form um, that I, uh, that I built through gravity forms plugin on WordPress. Uh, so I, when someone fills it out, it sends me a JSON dump via email. I take that JSON dump. I feed it to a shortcut. It parses it all out, makes Reich projects and tasks It makes omni focus projects and Ooh. tasks. And then it drops the whole form in agenda so that I have a local copy of the, everything stored as, as intake, and then it emails the person who sent it to me in the first place and says, "I got it," um, which is like super cool. That that shortcut took me, um, I don't even know, probably <laughs> weeks to make. But with with one swipe, I can now take a project, assign it to a member of my team, and have everything everywhere where I need it, um, error free, um, and it takes like ten seconds. So that shortcut has paid for itself over and over one of the things that i remember reich doing well that i didn't think anyone else had kind of figured out was that form control where like you could say based on certain logic gates within a form that determines where the project ends up i thought that was mm -hmm. 
I wanted to play around with that so much, but I couldn't I couldn't get the rest of our marketing team on board. So it was like, well, okay, let's let's start with the basics. If it's this type, go to this project. If it's this type, go to this project. But you could even specify what questions appeared after, you know, each each logic gate. So I mean it was in many ways, it was like type form. I felt like it was type form and like Asana combined in some ways. And mm-hmm. I really That's liked that. But I mean, yeah, I, it, I, I think it was just the client. Like, I don't know what it was about that app that like, I was so, I never wanted to open that app. I would refuse to open that app until I absolutely had to. They're like, okay, hey, uh, I see you haven't updated your Reich status yet. And it's like, oh yeah, hold on. What, I got that. Quick type, quick type, quick type. Okay, quit, quit application. There, did it. All right, thanks. And then not open it again until the next time that they tell me. <laughs> so it was like, I, yeah, I don't, I don't know what, what caused me to just not like that app as much as I did. But I mean, like when you have to sit in front of, you know, like a task list app or a development environment or a, an authoring tools or like whatever it is that you do, you got to like that UI. Like, I think it has to appeal to you and make sense to you um, or, or else it's going to be really hard to do your work. And so, yeah, if it doesn't resonate, like it doesn't resonate. I think that's where OmniFocus is hurting right now is that, like you said, I mean, they're it is a very old school app and because it's a very old school app. I mean, that's, I mean, it is what it is. The company's been around as long as the Mac has, but you can still kind of tell. And even when they updated it, when they got to OmniFocus three, it, it felt like, okay, we're an old school app, but we've, we've added this new school approach to it. It wasn't really like, okay, we've, we've completely redone the app. Like a lot of, a lot of productivity blogs were like, Oh, it's better than ever. It's brand new. It's like they added one feature, <laughs> just one. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, that's like, that's like me going upstairs and like singing a Taylor Swift song. Like, Hey, look at cool <laughs> yeah. dad. Like, no, no, actually no. And, no, and I, no. I mean, you mentioned like agenda, like I've, I've had folks that talk about agenda. I agent my brain. That's too much for my brain to process. And I am, I know this is, this is you interviewing me. I hate, I hate that I've hijacked the show, um, <laughs> but I, I always tell people, I feel like in, in terms of productivity, there are, there are like three kinds of people. There are the people that want a washing machine and a dryer. There are people that want the washing machine. That's also a dryer. And then there's the kind of people that have like a bucket with like a washboard and then a clothesline. And I tend to be that last person. I want to be able, like, I use a Chemex to make my coffee so that I can make sure that the temperature is set to the right temperature. I manually grind my beans. Like, that is my meditation moment, uh, is making that coffee and doing it automatically. My wife is like, can I just push the button and let the Keurig do its thing? And, you know, mm-hmm. we, we have, we have <laughs> that argument of like, no, you don't want to use a Keurig. And here's all, here's all the areas where they cut corners and do all this other stuff that you don't need to be doing. And like all this, all those things. But I feel like apps like agenda, apps like notion, um, they try to be the washer dryer combo. And I feel like what you get is an app that has the potential to do absolutely amazing things, 
that falls short by like that much. And it's that falling short that just gets me. And it's like, I would, I would, I would rather you do one thing perfectly and the other stuff, not at all than to do two things really, really well, but not do them as great as you could do them. If you just focused on one thing. Interesting. Like I hadn't thought about it that way. Like, cause to me, agenda doesn't really do a lot. Like to me, it, it's it's really just notes that are linked to calendar events, and then that are organized kind of in categories. And that's, I mean, maybe maybe I haven't tried to use a whole bunch of stuff that it can do, but I <laughs> I, I I like its simplicity. Um, that that there's very little that it does, or that I use it for than that, with the exception of using a URL scheme to be able to like feed stuff in automatically outside. Um, which I also enjoy um, being able to do. So, because to me, like it, it feels, it feels like an agenda. And as a, someone who did a lot of like paper planner stuff, like uh, if you want to talk about the magic of Rollobind or uh, uh, Levenger calls it Circa or Staples calls it Arc, the like disc bound yep. system where you can pull the pieces of paper out and put them back in. Oh boy. I was rocking one of those for uh, like a solid three years and I had different colored like dividers and I would use different colored pens to represent different things, all the categories. I love that stuff. So like when agenda came along, that spoke to like my inner circa it, that, that, that that's kind of what it felt like. Um, so that, so that's interesting to hear, to hear like the, the perspective that, uh, that it's maybe complex, and now I worry that I'm underusing, <laughs> underusing it. And now I'm paranoid. No, and, and, and that, in case you were wondering where the rest of my night was going to go, Jay, <laughs> that's where it's going. Not, not at all. It, it, and I, I mean that, like you mentioned. Okay, it's an app that gives you calendar events and notes based on those those calendar events, if you so choose. Um, yeah, for me, that's like three separate apps. <laughs> and that's the problem. Okay. Like it's it's fantastic how to hold the the calendar event. I honestly would put that on paper too if I could. Um unfortunately, I can't push a button on paper and make a zoom window pop up. Uh that's that is the only reason I use Fantastical and would. I mean, I've got I don't you can you can kind of see it in the corner here. I I'm going to literally grab the monitor and flip it over like that that's a focused wall calendar there. So I'm I'm still writing stuff down and that's because my wife needs to know what I'm doing. You know, if I go in like we have right. I have a green screen that I swing at and pull down here. But Whoa. I can't pull it down. Oh I can't kinda there it goes. You can kinda see the room darkening. <laughs> oh wow, yeah, there yeah. it is. So I've got that. That's, cool. that's kind of our indicator of like, hey, Jay's going into a meeting right now. So uh, you know, volume down a little bit but i mean that's her setup behind me over there um so it's a wall calendar is just easier so i write it down in there but then whenever i need to click the zoom link i'm like all right where my calendar is it at and then i just click on the zoom link and then it served its purpose but in terms of having the notes associated with that zoom link that's going to depend it's probably going to be in my notebook um if for some reason i'm sharing information or with like a team, then it'll probably be in like, sad to say, like a Google Doc, which I mean, yeah, that's, that's what the team does. So, all right. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, I mean, this is the, this is nerd prison, right? It's like where you want to do all like this cool yeah. stuff, and you're like, everyone else is like, no, 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 I don't understand. Yeah, I'd, I'd give them a link to Craft, but they can't, <laughs> they can't update it. So, yeah, um, but yeah, yeah, totally. And then at the end of the day, like if I have websites and other stuff that I want to collect, I just use Hook, and then Hook is kind of the the paste between that document. And all of the other distractions that I have associated with that with that <laughs> item. So, yeah, I mean, it, and it's each task is serving a very singular purpose. Fantastical is literally the Zoom link holder. And then the Google Doc is the agenda and not the app agenda, just the actual agenda. And then Hook is let's connect this with all associated URLs and contacts and everything else that I need to have on command so that whenever someone asks a question, I can just open hook, get the list, figure out what I need to find, click on it, and then be able to report on it. Like I have some sense. Yeah. No, that sounds like a great system. So, uh, speaking of changing the subject (laughs) in in the before, in the, in the before show that no one ever gets to hear, uh, because we weren't recording, uh, we talked a little bit about, uh, about music and you having some background in, in, uh, doing electronic music. I want to hear all about this. You don't want to hear any of the music though, because it was bad. (laughs) I mean, we've all lived through eras bad is subjective. I, I literally have a dubstep tattoo on me. So, (laughs) legit <laughs> like i have people asking like what's this tattoo on your side it says wub and like what is a wub and i was like don't talk to me <laughs> oh. but you get to have that conversation over and over and over and over again for the rest of your life though, i do life decisions that was a good one <laughs> Music, music is one of those things that is very, it's very meaningful for me. Um, my my dad's side of the family was really big into music. My uncle, to this day, he actually he's a musician. His name is Nadir. Um, he owns uh, previously owned by Motown Studio, so a lot of history in wow. yeah. Uh, he goes to NAM, the National or North American Musicians, whatever that's called. Um, he goes to NAM every year. Well, whenever they have them. Remember when you could have conferences? Yeah, yeah, yeah back when you saw people. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. That was cool. so. Uh, you know, i I grew up I grew up listening to a lot of the you know sixties, seventies, eighties R and B, rock, um, disco, even, and. My dad played bass. My uncle plays like seven different instruments. My grandmother played piano. I played guitar for a while. Like I knew enough to to be bad. Um, I knew like all the basic chords and I kind of knew a little bit of music theory. So I could, I could pick up a piano. I could pick up a guitar and kind of fiddle with it. But for me, like I also grew up in the area where like, Hey, nine inch nails is a thing. <laughs> like let's what what happens if we combine rock with you know this electronic stuff and i mean i've got a daft punk poster on the way you know very sad to hear about the oh. the ending of of that legacy r.i.p yeah um so yeah when when i knew my calling was music 
for so long, I applied to go to Georgia State's music program. And then I learned that I knew nothing about music because I'm sitting there in the, the jazz interview queue to uh, to wait for my turn and seeing people who had been trained for this very moment since the day they were born. And I left because I knew that was not me, nor would it ever be me. Uh, so from there, I, I thought about, well, what if I just looked at like improvisation and composition? And there was something about the world of electronic music that the idea that you could take a line and the line is just do, you know, that, that solid line. You could throw a wave into it and make a and start making a sine wave and it's and if you've got it fast enough, it sounded like that same line. But then it was louder. And I was like, oh, that's cool. And then it's like, well, wait, what if you make it do do and it's like, well, that's a saw wave. And then you could do that and that was really cool. And then what if you mix the two? And then you start getting a bunch of wild, crazy stuff that made no sense to anybody, but they called it dubstep. <laughs> and that sounded cool. Uh, so in my mind, I wanted to create music. And then also the, the whole argument of sampling, which I consider sampling to be uh, an art form. I think that mm -hmm. as if, if an artist can get inspiration from a Picasso, paint their idea of a Picasso, and then you still call it a masterpiece, and I'm referring to like Jean-Michel Basquiat, which is like one of my favorite artists of all time, whose art never looked like anybody else's, but he was inspired by the likes of Andy Warhol. He was inspired by the Picassos out there, and he was able to create his own thing. Why can't an artist say... I love the idea of this song. I'm going to take this song and mix and match things to make my own thing that if done right, and that's a big, the big if, um, if done right, create something unique in its own fashion. Um, mm -hmm. I wanted to be that person. I never got to be that person. Maybe one day I'll go be that person. I'll be the, I'll be the retired, um, EDM artist, uh, out there playing clubs in my sixties. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. Will they know what EDM means when we get to that? I time? mean, it'll be an emoji at that point. Sure. Yeah. Glow sticks. Yeah. <laughs> Just glow sticks. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> Wait, are there glow stick you, you emojis? Oh, Oh, I feel, no, well, I don't know. Now I'm going to have to look up in the Emojipedia. Yeah, Emojipedia, we got to make it happen. I, I, I had a similar sort of experience with electronic music. Like, I remember for me, the, the killer moment, I think, actually, um, and this just occurred to me a, a couple of weeks ago when I was thinking about this, was when Nine Inch Nails did the soundtrack to Quake, mm -hmm. like the very first Quake. And, like, to listen to that and think, like, huh, like, you can make not just music, but this sort of like atmosphere, this, this musical atmosphere. And that really intrigued me. And, and like you said, mixing genres of like, okay, well, what if you bring these like elements of industrial together with, you know, like electronic synth pop with like some rock and some other things. It's it, really cool. What, what, what some people were doing in that, in that time frame. Um, I, 
you, you talked about. I, 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 I want to fit in one last question here before before we wrap because I'm because I'm I, I can hear I can hear the children. <laughs> it's getting on children time. They're they're get, they're getting restless. Um, I, I, I'm, you talk a, a lot about um, the show used to be being about productivity, and I, I'm curious as to why you think it's not. Um, because as I listen to you talk about the way in which you are thinking about your experiences or the things that you don't know, <laughs> the things that you do know, to me that relates very much to, to productivity, and, and, I, and I didn't, it didn't strike me that it that it wasn't about that uh, until you said that. And then I thought I'd missed something. And now I think you're trying to trick me. And so I'm really <laughs> interested in your perspective on this show somehow not being about productivity over the last, let's say, I don't know, five or six episodes that I've, that I've had the, uh, the pleasure of listening to. So when I say this show isn't about productivity, I think... What I'm saying is let's throw out the assumption that you have to be interested in productivity to get something out of this show. Um, that was very much the beginning oh, okay. idea of this show. Like, I mean, the, um, are you familiar with uh, Francesco D'Alessio from, uh, what is it, Keep Productive, the Keep Productive YouTube channel? Uh, no, I'm not. I'm, uh, I, I never li- watch anything good on no. YouTube. YouTube, YouTube is where I, that's, is full of guilty pleasures. Nothing good ever comes no, to me. It, it's so. perfectly fine. Like my, my YouTube channel consists or my YouTube, like watching consists mostly of memes, Minecraft and like, oh, I don't know, watching people restore antiques, <laughs> which is actually a thing. Like I, I like watching the rusted resurfacing of things. So yeah, that's a fun wormhole to go down but but yeah so francesco and i started around the same time and when we started one of the first thing i did this is back when facebook was innocent wait never mind um (laughs) yeah so i created a facebook group called um productivity in tech which was you know the whole progenitor of this productivity in tech stuff and in there it was I want to be as productive as possible. I want I want when people to think about me, they're like, this person eats, sleeps, and breathes productivity. I, I was literally training to become a productivity coach to be the next Tony Robbins, which if you if anyone ever referred to me as Tony Robbins nowadays, we would be in a fist fight. I do not like mm. the person, but that's another that's a whole another wormhole to go down. Um fraud. <laughs> Somewhere between there and my first breakdown, um, the show was actually doing great. I mean, I was we we were at the the thousands of listeners a month, uh, just talking about productivity and making things happen. And then I I asked a question that was kind of just me wondering. I had a Facebook group of you know a few thousand people. My show was getting, you know, a few thousand downloads, so I thought it would be like a one-to-one thing. Everybody in the Facebook group was consuming the content on the podcast. About 8%. 8% of the people that were talking about why their favorite app wasn't their favorite anymore and how 
this new app that was coming out was going to be the next best thing and how everyone should just drop what they're doing and leave OmniFocus and switch to this thing because tagging and, you know, whatever. Mm. And from there, I realized the show that brought on Matthew Castanelli when he still worked for VaynerMedia, um, Francesco D'Alessio, before Keep Productive was a podcast, um, again, Mike Vardy from Productivityist, all of these people were just talking about productivity and people were listening to it because they thought they had to to be productive. They thought, I have to consume the content. I have to, I have to believe what Gary Vee is telling me about hustling and figuring things out. At that point, I had a panic attack, an anxiety attack that made me quite literally delete the podcast. Like, and some people say, oh, you can't delete a podcast. No, I killed the RSS feed. I killed the server that the RSS feed was hosted on. The only place you can find those episodes now are the Internet Archive because backups. Um, I was that smart. I do keep backups. Uh, but even then, it's all <laughs> encrypted and it's like, oh, file productivity and tech podcast zero one this date, some guest. Um, so it's mm. definitely not something that's super easy to figure out. So after that, I decided that I was going to start talking about the developer space because I was a developer. Like that made sense. And I wanted to be a productivity coach for developers. I wanted to teach them the errors of my ways and say, I'm here to make content specifically for you. Yeah, no one listened to that. And I took that pretty hard, uh, hard enough that I had second anxiety attack and emotional breakdown. Um, so at this point, I was struggling to figure things out. Eventually, I just said, I'm not doing I'm not doing productivity in tech anymore. And when I got to that point, I was not doing a show at all. Uh, the show took about eight months, eight to 10 months off. And I was so depressed. <laughs> I was just I realized that I had become like married to this thing that I had created and like. I had to have it in my life. So then I said, you know what? I'm not going to talk about productivity anymore. I'm going to have great conversations with people that I want to talk about or what I, that I want to talk to, whether they're developer or not. And that was where the new productivity and tech came in. And eventually what I realized was people would listen because the word productivity was in it. And they would think that we were going to talk about productivity but instead, we started talking about, you know, someone's, you know, business idea or someone's, you know, really cool concept or a show that they did or, you know, Brett Terpstra. I had, I've had Brett Terpstra on the show three times and we've talked about three different things every single time. Mm-hmm. Uh, the last one was all about yoga. So it was, it's definitely one of those instances of, I wanted the show to be what it was, and I wanted it to be divorced of the idea of you have to listen to these people and do what they tell you if you want to be productive. Because I feel like that's where the aforementioned Tony Robbins and Gary Vee's and these folks, that's where they make their money. And in a way, they're wrong. Um, nobody, there is no Bible to this. Um, there are a lot of great books. Um, but there is no Bible. Mm. I'm sorry, David Allen. <laughs> um, but it's so I when I say that it's not about productivity, it's not about 
the idea of like, we're not going to talk about anything productivity related, but we're going to talk about why people do things that they choose to do, how they do them. And ultimately like whether or not they're, they're happy with what they've, they've come to. And uh, we don't always ask the questions like that, but at the end of the day, I hope that's what people realize is that, Oh, this person loves what they're doing. But isn't that what productivity you is? You tell me. Like, I, I guess. Because you said you didn't well, know I what productivity know. was. <laughs> I don't – well, I, I don't know either. I mean – but here's the thing. Like we could sit here and debate what the perfect shape of a castle would be. That doesn't mean that we're very, very good chess players. Right? <laughs> like So like these, these app debates to me, I mean that's not – that's not about productivity anymore. That's, that's about something else. That's about maybe, – maybe it's user experience. Or maybe it's, um, um, you know, uh, how a particular uh, piece of software maps to hopes and dreams. I don't know. But, I, but, but that doesn't feel like productivity to me. That, and that's why um, I would argue that your show is absolutely about that. Because it's about, like you said, it's about how people are thinking, what they want to do, and are they happy? Like that's, and that's what it's about. I mean, I had that, that same sort of collision moment. Like, I, big year 2005. 2005, I was introduced to, I, I was gifted the book Getting Things Done. I got my first Mac, um, which came with Omni Outliner, which meant I could run the Kinkless GTD, which became OmniFocus <laughs> later. Um, and and then I discovered, uh, like, Merlin Mann stuff. And, like, so GTD was a good framework. Merlin made it make sense for me. And so one of these days, I'll have a chance to thank him in person somehow. Merlin's um, one of those people that then, I have yet to interview, and I'm terrified to even ask for that exact reason. I feel like he has done so much for so many people that there is no question that I can ask him that isn't like, how do you really feel about this? Because I feel like Merlin's hit that point, too, and I can't speak for him, and you know, none of us can, but... It seems like his journey has been one that is very similar to that of, I thought I had to do this. And now I'm upset that I told so many people that they had to do this. Um, but I'm sorry, go ahead. Well, yeah, but I mean, it, but it, you're not wrong, like at all, right? Like it, there was that moment where like he, he wrote those pieces called um, Cranking. And going through like kind of what became like the end of 43 folders. And I was like, hey, really well thought out piece, Merlin. But can you get back to like doing how you how you make me do my email fast? Like, thanks for the esoteric philosophy lesson. Like, that's great. But then I realized, no, that's that's what this is. This isn't about how do I get email to zero? This is about how am I approaching my life? What do I spend time and attention thinking about? What matters? And to me, that's, that's what productivity is, is, is being able to at least start to answer those questions of what do I care about? And um, is where my time and attention going? Does it map to that? Or is it something else? I, I can't remember who said it. Like It was like, this talk or something that I saw where someone said, okay, think about like holding your head a vision of the things that matter most to you. Pick five, five things that matter the most to you in your life. Close your eyes, picture those. Now open your eyes and tell me what's in your browser history and how closely <laughs> do these things correlate? And the answer, of course, is like zero. Okay, so how do I move from zero to like at least kind of? 
that's productivity to me. That's that's what I care about. And so I think you're doing a fantastic job of exploring productivity in that way, uh, not in that like, uh, let's compare Apple scripts, nerds kind of way. <laughs> I mean, that's a fun part there's of the quote unquote productivity chase. I mean, like you said, you there, there's room for that. There's room for that. Absolutely. <laughs> but I mean, uh, but I mean, there's also the like, what am I even doing here? And I, that part interests me perhaps a lot more. Mostly because I can't Apple script me. Um, <laughs> but, but I mean, that's, that's what I found like super relatable about, uh, about your content and why I think it, it absolutely is productivity. And um, I will, I will defend that point uh, forever. I, I, I love that. And, and I will say, I think that not to say I'm some all wise Oracle. Um, I'm not <laughs> I'm all wise Oracle. If I, if I were to say anything, no, no Oracle there. Uh, but what gets me is that I want I want the folks out there that are that are making a living telling people that this is the greatest app in the world as they're demoing an app that sponsored their next video about why that app is the greatest app in the world to be honest and and to to really be honest and come clean and I think that we are getting to that point um I also see this like lifestyle mindfulness uh, productivity racket <laughs> as as a thing that's happening. Yeah. Um, and and my problem that I have is that people are looking for answers, and there are there are a few folks of people that are like I I don't have the answer for you. I can I can give you the answer of what's worked for me, and that's kind of what I try to do is. And no one person will have all the answers, but if I interview all the people and they all share their answers, maybe you can come to your own conclusions. Mm-hmm. But then there are also other people that will say, hey, I got the answer for you. Have you heard of uh, Rome Research? And and at that point, it's just like you realize that there are people out there that not to put it in the darkest of terms, but there are people, there are people that have serious consequences based on what you've told them to you. They are just a click to you. They are a metric, not to you, you, but to, to that person. The, to the, the big, yeah. Yeah. But to them, they're looking for the solution that will help them keep their job to feed their family. And that is very much a position that I was in that got me started down this entire road, my productivity journey was like, if I don't get this stuff figured out, I'm going to get fired. And when I think about that, I feel sorry for the people who make a living telling people lies. And they don't, they're not doing it on purpose. I know, I, I know a lot of these folks. I trust them. I know they're great people. They're not doing it on purpose. But they're also not telling the truth about it. They're not openly saying, this worked for me. Don't expect it to work 100% for you. You're going to need to play around with it. You're going to need to tinker with it. Mm. You may fall in love with the process of tinkering. And if you do, that's great. But remember, this is you playing. This is not you creating something that is going to help you be better at your job until it just does one day. Yeah. And I, and the, the problem, too, is I, I imagine that it's probably pretty attractive for a person to make the app the problem and the solution. Because as long as that is true, 
then you can buy your way out of it. You can say, you know what? Then for $15.99 in the App Store, I can solve all my worries. That's an attractive thought, right? Uh, oh, oh, you want me to reinvent my personal philosophies, how I view the world, and evaluate where I place all my time and attention? <laughs> that sounds hard and yucky. Uh, no, OmniFocus is a lot uh, cheaper than therapy. <laughs> <laughs> That's really good. I got really health, good health care coverage. Uh, so maybe it cover OmniFocus? <laughs> I don't know. Can I write that off? Um, but yeah, I, th- I think it, it's always attractive in a lot of vertical, verticals to make technology seem like the problem. Because then you can buy your way out of it, uh, theoretically. Um, and, and, and then so you try and then it doesn't work. And then you say, well, that just because that just wasn't the right <laughs> app. And now we'll go on a giant app debate. So yeah. Um, but conflating that with with what productivity is, I think, is is the real that that's where that's where productivity gets a gets a bad rap because I think it, you synonymously talk about those things. I hear about the the mindfulness racket too. I mean, it's a it's a it's a fine line um, because I, there's a lot of elements. I mean, meditation has been around for several thousand years on account of I suspect there's value in that uh, for a lot of people. Steve Jobs only had um, one T-shirt. Well, he had multiple copies of the uh, one T-shirt. You know, Zuckerberg wears the same green, you know, gray T-shirt every day. He also doesn't oh, get much do sun. So, you know, that's another issue. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, yeah, also family relationships become interesting. <laughs> <laughs> what do you want to optimize for? Um I got the t-shirt thing figured out, but my daughter relationship is really weird. Maybe um, I should throw out all of her t-shirts. <laughs> oh, my God. I I mean the, the hardest thing for me, and I'm and I am I love having kids who remind me of this all the time, not on purpose, but by accident. The hardest thing about life is remembering which complexities exist only because we put them there. So, so life can be. Much simpler. And I understand I am super privileged to be able to say that. I get that. I don't have, I, I'm in a position where I don't have to worry about where the next meal is coming from. I have a roof. I have a loving family. I am safe in my home. That alone means so much. And I, so I, I, I'm not blind to that. Um, so I get that it's privileged to be able to say that like life isn't as complex as we make it. But I think that, but I think there's still a, a bit of truth in that f- for us all, which is that we introduce so much of our own complexities um, in how we try and evaluate and how we try and see things and how we try and process things. And it, I, I think a key thing is figuring out the paths past that that get you right back to what are you doing? How are you doing that? And now are you happy? Oh man, I think you're you're gonna love the episode that comes out right before yours because I mean one, it we talk about ADHD like it is it is a full ADHD conversation with someone who's an advocate for ADHD, um, a black advocate for ADHD, which I was like wow that's amazing, um, but then also awesome. we talk a lot about the idea of there are. There are plenty of folks that want answers that don't have the privilege of being able to solve their problems. For many people, again, for, you know, growing up in, in, you know, Southern black culture, therapy was not a thing. You had church. Church was, was your answer. And that was all you got. 
especially as a kid, if you had ADHD and you were a kid, you were hardheaded and you just had to focus more. And that messed up so many people. And those are the people that are now getting therapy for the first time. And it was only after they had an anxiety attack because someone said, you know, hey, if you're really struggling, you should try this system. And that was me. I mean, that that is my ADHD story. Anxiety attack after that is that is the story of so many things in my life was anxiety attack, anxiety attack, coming to the realization of this doing this the same way will quite literally kill me. And I need to figure something else out. And the first time the thing that solved the last problem became the problem, it was it was a very eye opening experience. And I, I cannot, as much as I cannot give up the idea of let's talk productivity, I want to talk about it knowing that those constraints are in place. That this is, and like I said, this isn't meant to be anyone's Bible, but at the end of the day, it's, it's to be a good story. It's to be a good tale of people that are experiencing similar things and different things. And let's talk about how they're similar and how they're different. But at the end of the day, if everybody leaves saying, oh, hey, that was a really cool conversation, then I feel like I used to end the show with, I hope for this last bit, we've been productive. And I kind of just stopped doing that. And I say, I don't know, just go, go do something or whatever. <laughs> like, that's kind of how I end it now. Just like, uh, you know, get what you want out of it. But at the end of the day, like, I don't know, until, until we talk again, like, go do work or something. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, which, which I adore. Like, I love, I love how vulnerable and open and everything that you are about your story and the way you think about things and everything. It's, it's, it's really inspiring to listen to. And I get a lot. I get a lot from what you talk about and uh, keep doing it. Well, you, you've, you've just guaranteed the, the rest of this season, <laughs> the rest of this calendar year. I'll keep doing it if I got to do it by myself or if I got to call you up and say, hey, let's let, let's talk again. Like, because I, I definitely I hate to think that that was riding on me. But like, honestly, <laughs> a- anytime you want to do this again, you please, please. I would love there. To. There's a lot to say again. People that are listening an hour and a half in still. Tell Jimmy. tell people Thank that you. watch the show that the content that you consume. Tell them how much it means to you that you get to consume it. Because in all reality, it changed the entire direction that this show went. Like when I had people that were like, "Hey, here's some money for your show. I know you don't ask for it. Here it is. Like you put out a good show. Keep it up." That's what that's literally what made the show last last year. This conversation in many ways, like I said, it will guarantee that this show continues on as long as I can find people to interview or and if I can't, I'll just talk to myself until I have nothing else to say, I guess. <laughs> but like every year I have this conversation with myself of are people listening? Is anyone listening? Is this worth still doing? Because the numbers don't really go up. Like, they just kind of stay where they are. And we can blame that on the on the virus. We can blame that on a bunch of different things. But at the end of the day, if there are people listening, if there are people that are getting stuff out of the show, I want to keep doing it. Because, again, I understand that while I try not to make it as important to people as as they make it for themselves, it is important to them. I might have something that I can tell them that helps. 
So why not do the show? It takes me a couple hours out of my week. If we've already noticed that if if I if I end it on my own terms, it will come back. Like I don't have the choice. The, the show won't <laughs> leave me. What I'm really trying to say is, help, Scotty! I'm trapped. Help. <laughs> <laughs> We're on video right now, so I need you to just do a like a hand signal if you are unsafe and you need me to send the help. <clears throat> oh my god! Oh man, this is so good. This is cool. You know what's so weird about this is like, um, talking to you is like listening to your podcast. Like you are just so absolutely you, um, which is just just such a wonderful thing um you know when we were talking before we were recording here we are recording and jamming i listened to your show and it, it, it's it's weird because um I, I i have this like false sense of probably knowing you better than i i do because i really i don't know you at all but i have that like this false sense of it because you are so consistently you and this isn't like a performance this is it, it's a show but it's not a show if you know what I mean. And I really appreciate that.